0: Yes, if you have a Bible, please do open along with me to Philippians and to chapter 4 as we come towards the end of the book of Philippians. Uh, But we're not just at the end just yet. So coming to Philippians chapter 4, we'll be thinking about the first few verses here, but we'll read the chapter together. Philippians 4, beginning to read at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crying. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through him who strengthens me yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when i left macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even in thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once in the game not that i seek the gift The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening.
1: I suppose the two big things tonight are standing firm and agreeing with each other. That's our two big points tonight, uh, if we are to please him we are to stand firm in the Lord and we are to agree with each other in the Lord. So let's pray and look at this together. Father, once again, we submit to your word and the leading of your spirit, and we pray that you will drive the word of God into our hearts and minds and also into our behavior. So we're not just Christians in theory, but we're Christians in practice. So tonight, if you need to rebuke us or encourage us to keep going, to challenge us or even to save us, we pray that we will receive your word and that we will obey your word. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the book of Acts is, is a, a book that we we, we love here. It, it tells of the, the birth and uh, the growth of, of the church. And in the early chapters, we see a remarkable story of leaders being imprisoned, believers being threatened, Stephen being martyred, and a bloodbath which was basically imminent. And yet, against all the odds, with Romans and Jews and Satan all against them, they didn't shrivel up into a group of frightened and negative people. They remained, by and large, united, winsome, and magnetic. And one writer puts it like this. These early believers were unintimidated, determined, resilient, and peaceful. And I suppose it's that that Luke often refers to. It was the peace of the church despite the chaos that was all around them. And by the power and presence of the living God, They maintained unity within the church. They possessed a loving atmosphere within the fellowship of the church. They displayed an authentic appeal of a beautiful welcome. So, the pressure from without could not steal away their joy and their peace. And people could not stay away from their services and acts of worship. And people were converted in their hundreds and in their thousands. You see, the early church learned the lesson of Philippians 4, 1 to 3. They stood firm. They really stood firm. And they were lovingly united. However, unless they continued to walk in the Spirit, uh, unless they were going to be continually filled by the Spirit cracks would appear. And if you know the story, you'll know that, of course, cracks did appear. And as churches began to be birthed and be, became established, more and more cracks appeared. And so it is here in Philippi. It's true also for us, by the way, because if we don't learn the importance of standing firm and being united in love, well, that's logical. We will lose our unity. The loving atmosphere that we should have will melt away, and the godly peace that could be ours simply ends. So in the early church at Philippi, a situation had uh, arose, uh, disturbing and disrupting the peace of the church, a disagreement between two ladies. So, how were they to deal with that? How were they to deal with that? I mean, how do we maintain unity? How do we possess this practical, ongoing love? How do we display a beautiful welcome that means people actually want to become become part of us rather than stay away from us? Especially when the pressure is on, especially when the world attacks us, especially when Satan assaults us. I mean, how do we stand firm and be united? Well, there's two answers. You'll see in verse one, we're to stand firm in the Lord. And secondly, we are to agree with each other in the Lord. Be strong, be agreeable in response to the, the call to press on that uh, we uh, thought about a couple of weeks ago, in response to, to follow the, the pattern lived out in others, godly leaders and godly mentors, in response to the example of those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, in response to the fact that our citizenship is in heaven, in response to our eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, in response to our ultimate transformation by the power of God, what are we to do? In the meantime, what are we to do? Stand firm and agree with each other in the Lord, in the face of the attack of Satan, in the face of the attraction of sin, in the face of the apathy of the church, very often. What are we to do? Stand firm and agree with each other. And both of them in the Lord, not in ourself, not in our collective strength, not in our clever creativity and charm. We're to do these things in the Lord. So let's think about each of these in turn. Just two points. Stand firm in the Lord. Verse 1, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crying, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So, in this fallen and broken world, there's always a battle for things, uh, as far as the church is concerned, uh, for truth, uh, for souls, for unity. There's a battle and we need to stand firm in that. We need to drop anchor. We need to hold our ground. We need to have deep convictions. And when we do that in Jesus, we'll resist the seductions to temptation. We will resist the weakness of fear. We will resist the allurement of worldliness, and we will, yes, learn to stand firm. Now, that phrase, Stand Firm, um, is a Greek phrase that was used of a soldier standing fast in the heat of the battle, in the shock of war, in the, where the noise is loud all around him, and the pressure is intense, and the enemy is active. You know, the problem with our modern day is that we, we can see the horror of war so very clearly, can't we? Um Actual real war, or if it's, it's if it's dramatised in film, and, and and it is horrifying, isn't it? And what do we find often is the the officer will say to a soldier, a subordinate soldier, "Hold your position. Do not retreat. Hold your position. Do not go back." Now. That word, stand firm, or that phrase is in the the, imperative mood, which means it's a command, something we must do. And it's in the present tense, it means we must always be doing this. It's an ongoing command, always standing firm. And in the spiritual warfare that you and I are in, and, and we are in it, whether we're not aware, whether we're aware of it or not, isn't the issue? The the fact is we are in a spiritual war. We need to stand firm in the Lord. Now, this phrase um, is very, very often used by Paul in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, stand firm, let nothing move you. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13, stand firm in the faith. Galatians 5 verse 1, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Philippians 1 verse 27, stand firm in one spirit. Colossians 4 verse 12, stand firm in all the will of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you. But probably best known is the Ephesians 6 passage where we're to stand firm. It's mentioned four times in less than four verses. Verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then verse 12, he describes that. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand... And then verse 14, again, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. He goes on then explaining the parts of the armor. You know, if we're really going to make something of our Christian lives, and if the church is really going to be outgoing in our evangelism, we need to have a healthy respect for the world the flesh and the devil's attempts to discourage and to distract us. We, we need to respect that power, be aware of it, to be armed against it. So, this encouragement, this, this command comes from a heart of love, you, you will notice, because we might say, what were we to do? We're to stand firm, hold our position in, in uh, doctrine, in, in our theology, and understanding of the gospel, uh, but, but, but who's to do it? Well, well, look how, look how warm uh, his his um, uh, words and phrases in, in this verse. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crying—that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So the word brother there—you see—we'll just go down them um, phrase by phrase. Brothers literally means from the same womb wedded together uh, into family. That's who we are, you see. That's who is to stand firm. Brothers and sisters in Christ, born again of the same Holy Spirit, having the same Father, saved by the same Savior, the triune God, saving us and keeping us and saying to us, stand firm. Brothers and sisters, we're the same family with the same precious blood of the same Savior, and we've been given the same word, and we're involved in the same battle. You whom I love and long for, he longs to be with them. He longs to see them. He's 800 miles away from them, roughly, in jail in Rome. And what does he do? He longs to be in their fellowship. Strong, Affection, intense words here. Because you see, the Christians in Philippi had a very special place in his heart. Very special place. And if we're going to stand firm, this is the kind of uh, very special place in our hearts we should have for, with each other in that place. That strong Affection. And here's the point, wherever He has set you down, wherever He places you, you've got to love the people and you have to have a longing for the people where He set you down. Now, in my experience, most often this doesn't happen easily or naturally. It is something we have to work at It's something we must pray for. It requires a great effort so that we might love and long for each other in the kind of way that Paul is describing here. But the great thing is God will provide a place and a people where we can belong. A a place and a people where we can weep when we need to weep and we can rejoice when we need to rejoice. A place and a people where we can minister and be ministered to, a place and a people where we can, yes, stand firm. And he goes on to talk about my joy and my crown. I mean, this must have been so encouraging for these Philippians. They're saying, you know what? (laughs) Paul loves us like this. We are his joy, his crown. And this Church in Philippi brought such excitement to his heart. As they pressed on, as they matured, he was absolutely thrilled. Now, the word joy is important because we should cause that among each other. When we think of each other, we should think each other with, about each other with joy in our hearts. Not, not, not misery, not sorrow, not depression, when when somebody thinks of you, when you think of me, there should be a sense of joy. And the word crown there uh, describes the the, the, the prize at the end of the the race. Um, And he's basically therefore saying, you are my prize when I get to that last day, the day of judgment. The only crown I really want, the only prize I really want is you that you'll be with me. That's what's going to really thrill my heart, is the fact that you're there beside me. You see, in our, our prayer meetings and in our discipleship groups, whatever they happen to be, in our worship services, in our fellowship after or before, in our services, whatever they happen to be in the, during the week, we should know each other like this. Brothers and sisters, People we love and we long for, my joy, my crying, dear friends. He ends up verse one with. If we're, if we're going to stand firm, this is the kind of attitude we need to have for each other, brothers and sisters, loving and longing, joy and crying, not, not suspicious, not standoffish, you know, not critical, but you know, oneness. So, the question we're asking tonight is, I mean, how do we stand firm in the battles of life? We stand firm with fellowship as described in verse 1. That's how we do it. And if it's missing, if, if we're not really brothers and sisters to each other, if we don't really Love each other or long for each other, if we're, if we're not creating joy, if, if we're not the prize, if we're not dear friends, well then you know what? We will not stand. See, company is crucial. But we, I think we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room here. There are some people who make it easy to stand firm, but there are some people who make it very, very hard to stand firm. Now, last week we were in uh, chapter 3 and we looked at verse 17. Follow me, says Paul, as I follow Christ, and follow those who live according to the gospel pattern. We spent a lot of time on that verse. See, the strength to stand firm comes when like-minded brothers and sisters are standing firm beside us, you know, shoulder to shoulder, as it were, And I I mentioned elders and members of my discipleship group and mentors, past and present, who are those kind of people in my life. But can can I say something um, very important about that? There's one more person who's really, really important to me as far as giving me the strength and the help to stand firm, and that's Pauline. Now, I don't, I don't think she knows I'm saying, unless she's read my notes, she doesn't know I'm going to say this. I don't often say nice things about my wife, but I'm going to tonight, because you know, what about the fleshly temptations that come my way, you know? Who helps me stand firm against that? What about theological error? Do you know she's probably more theology in her than I have? Who's, who encourages me to stand firm against that? But here's the one that's probably the most painful over even, even, even recently. Carping criticism from people who haven't a clue about the church or about theology. Who helps me stand firm against that? See, Pauline encourages me to stand firm. and you know, We all need someone like that in our lives who will say, come on stand firm and don't give up and don't give in and don't feel and don't slip back. Stand firm. My brothers and sisters, those whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my dear friends. See, Satan is like a, a dictator attacking He's like, he's like a present Putin, in a sense, attacking from the outside, from the outside, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually attacking the church. but he's also like a terrorist attacking from the inside. So what does Satan do? Well, he sows his weeds among the wheat, as Jesus tells us. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, as Peter tells us. He launches volley after volley after volley of flaming arrows, as Paul tells us. And what are we to do? We're to stand firm. And God has, in His wisdom and in His beautiful plan, has given us the church of Christians to be beside us in that standing firm. We're not supposed to do this on our own. Now, of course, the most important person, as we said last week, but just in case you think I've forgotten about him, the most important person, of course, is not Pauline, but the Lord Jesus. That's why each time that we're going to look at it's stand firm in the, the Lord. We all need dear friends because our enemies are numerous, our enemies are evil, they, our enemies just want to destroy us and our families and our church and our testimony. But we all need the Lord. I mean, we need to do this in the Lord. In his salvation, knowing his power, glorifying his name. Stand firm in the Lord, he says. And then he says, agree with each other in the Lord. Verse 2 and 3. I plead with Theodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are are in the book of life. Let's uh, go down quickly here. First of all, there's a concern uh, stated there in verse uh, verse 2. In these verses, Paul mentions a situation that was affecting the unity of the church and therefore affecting the ability to stand firm against the devil and the schemes. And these two believers, Eode and Syntyche, we were having difficulties, um, and they needed to settle their differences. Now, the cause is not mentioned. I mean, it, it could have been doctrinal, it could have been ethical, or it could have been personal. But actually, the cause is not the issue here. Fixing it is the concern of Paul. And he's basically saying here, your conflict is threatening major division in the fellowship, the ability for the church to stand firm. Fix it! in the Lord. Paul does not take sides in the matter, you'll notice, nor does he sit on the fence. He doesn't start of say, oh, well, you know, there's two sides to every story, and both are partially right, and both are partially wrong, and therefore, let's kiss and make up. He kind of doesn't go down that softly, softly approach. He says, no. Be reconciled, he says. Sort it out, So what do we know about these two ladies? Well, you notice in verse 3 there, they are contenders. Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Oh, these ladies were frontline gospel witnesses. They they regularly and willingly put their shoulder to the wheel. And also notice that they are fellow workers, a part of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the the, the book of life at the end of verse 3. So they are two Christians Contending, working, heaven-bound, and yet they're in strife, major strife, big enough for for Paul to address it here in this short letter, big enough, concerning enough that Paul would deal with it. Now, the hint of of this problem was we already touched on it, if you remember back in chapter 2 where, um, in verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Well, these two, at least, and by the way, we believe that there could well have been a ripple effect, you know, two women, probably two husbands, two families, two groups of friends, (coughs) major splits possible, but they weren't like-minded, as... uh, chapter 2, 2 says, they weren't having the same love, and they weren't being one in spirit and in purpose. Steve Lawson, in his commentary, it's an excellent little commentary, um, he refers us to Ephesians 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And he notes, quite rightly, that there's almost a a declining progression here. Bitterness, it begins with bitterness. That's sort of resentment, That. Sour attitude to someone, but it never or rarely stops there. It gets into a kind of temper, rage. Anger is an internal smouldering, animosity. And then brawling is a public outburst of it. So it starts off with with just a a, a sour attitude, It, it goes on through the different stages to a public outburst, a loss of self control no restraints, and then slander, it's defamation of character, character assassination, and it ends up with malice, which is basically evil actions. It can get to that. So, you see how it begins with just a a minor sour grudge, and it ends up with um, evil actions. It was a problem in Ephesus, you can see. It's a problem in Philippi and it could be a problem in any church. It's common. You've got be, we've got to be aware of the danger, and we must never let these things fester in our hearts and minds. We've got to agree with each other in the Lord. See, division in the body is wrong because it runs contrary to how we are to view one another. As verse 1 says, I mean, we are to be Brothers and sisters, we love and long for each other. We're our joy and our crown and dear friends. So it's contrary to everything that we believe about the church and we, the way we ought to treat each other. But, but I think we need to stop just for a few seconds and, and, and just not brush over this. We need to see the scandal that division is. The scandal that division is. Having a, a shallow concern for certain brothers or sisters, or, or here's an issue. I see. I see it. People picking and choosing who's fit to be part of their friendship circle. You know, you have to be smart enough or rich enough or nice enough so that you can come into my group. That's a scandal in the church. We've got to see the scandal of division. Division in the body is wrong because it denies our fundamental oneness. It's summed up in verse 3 there, the cause of the gospel. I mean, every other issue is trumped by the cause of the gospel. And we shouldn't waste time or energy in any other task. The singleness of our task, this oneness in our unity, a taste of heaven on earth, and so, the concern is a strife. The request is that they might agree. Notice in verse 2, I plead with the Iodia and I plead with Syntike to agree with each other in the Lord. So, he, he uses the word plead twice. In other words, regardless of how the other would respond, and that's very important. We'll see that in a moment or two. Each one individually is requested to agree in the Lord. And that word plead there is is very strong. It means beseech. They're they're to exercise the same mind, sing from the same hymn sheet, um, get together, have the same attitude, row in the same direction. There's all kinds of images there with that. And again, it's in the Lord, by the grace for the glory and in the love of God. The alternative, by the way, is to act in the flesh, which does not work. Cannot work. In fact, in the flesh has caused the problem in the first place. So, here, here's what Paul writes and to the Romans. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Of course, it takes two to quarrel, and it also takes two to truly make up. But as far as it depends on you, I plead with you, X, I plead with you, Y. Agree with each other in the Lord. And we've got to be very careful that we don't ignore that request. And then the helper is this loyal yoke fellow. This isn't at all easy. I mean, the reason why it's here in Scripture is because it's not easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't have to be dealt with. It's not easy without help. So, Paul appeals to another member of the church, perhaps a leader, an elder, we don't know, to help these two ladies. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Take hold of the situation, he says. Seek to introduce peace where there's conflict. And where there are strong people with strong personalities, it can lead to clashes and conflicts. That's natural. It happens in ordinary families. It's going to happen within the church. We need strong helpers to be agents of reconciliation. So we need loyal Yoke fellows to be agents of reconciliation, not standing back, not ignoring, but seeking to make peace. Now, some people think that actually this person is named, uh, and it might be in your footnotes. certainly in the NIV. Goss. So it's not a nice name to have. Actually, Clement was much nicer. But um, it doesn't really matter whether it's a, a title or a name. The real thing is that real people here fall out, real people should help them fall in. So, will you be such a servant and such an agent, a loyal yoke fellow, when the need arises? By the way, just in case you're a visitor and thinking, wow, this church must be full of problems, let me just say, as far as I understand, we don't have any more problems than usual. It just happens to be the next portion in our study. But, if or when it arises, will you prepare to be that loyal yoke fellow? See, here's a very grim thought, and sir, we're coming to a conclusion. All we know of these two ladies, all we know about these two ladies is here in verses two and three. That they quarreled and were divided and they threatened the unity of the church. Nothing more, nothing less. This timeless one sentence verdict in two people, breakers of the peace, breakers of the unity. I, I would never want that to be said of me. I hope you never want it to be said of you. That we broke the unity of the church, the peace of the church, by doctrinal error or by sinful example or by carping criticism. So we need to be a people who, who learn lessons. Like we agree more and insist less. We we listen more and shout less. We produce more and publicise less. We confess more and accuse less. We give more and take less. Here's my experience. You know, I'm, I'm getting to the stage now where I can talk about my experience but it often boils down to two things. Power and position. Power and position. Either an abuse of power and position or a seeking after power and position. Power and position. I want, I deserve, I think, why not me? Why him? Why them? Very often that's the difference within the church where the problems can arise. So the Bible says... To stop that happening, we stand firm in the Lord. We agree with each other in the Lord. We be strong doctrinally, practically, and we be agreeable. And the key, of course, as I've emphasized again and again, in the Lord. And let's finish with this because you see, Jesus is the one who stood firm in everything against error, against opposition against criticism. And Jesus was also the one who was the supreme and still is the supreme reconciler. So, He is the example and the enabler. And on the cross and in the resurrection, you know what He did? He stood firm and He was our reconciler. Let's be in the Lord and we will have... Fewer problems. May God grant us grace to understand these things and apply it to our hearts. Let's pray, Lord. Um, these are not always easy words to hear. They, they challenge to the very core of our being. They hit us in our the place of pride and ego, and um, it perhaps opens up old wounds and reminds us of old hurts. Maybe it reminds us of um, issues that have not really been properly dealt with. And we ask, Lord, that in you, in, in the Lord, we might be a people who stand firm and we might be a people who agree with each other. And so we'll be like that early church, unintimidated, determined, resilient, and peaceful, not frightened and negative, but a people who were used by you in such a way that people could not stay away from them. And people were converted in huge numbers, hundreds and thousands. We we want to see that in this generation. We want to see that here. We want to see that in Ritchfield, County Armagh, Ireland, and beyond. So help us, we pray, to apply all this to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.